going to get started here tonight. Uh, I'm going to do a little things differently because I'm going to stand up because I am going to need to use this a lot. I'm hoping this shows well on the screen. But um, before we get into it too much, we're going to be talking about Israel. And I am going to be sharing the basic geography of Israel. And I'm going to give you a little warning. I'm not real excited about this part about laying a foundation here first as far as the layout but I think it's important to understand this because as you read scriptures it is going to make more sense and you're going to be able to visualize things a little bit better and so this might even take a little bit of going and reviewing on your own to remember some of this stuff there are YouTube videos and things like that that you could also go and do as well um, some of which basically I've stolen from to basically provide these maps and so on for you. But um, as we get into this, I just feel like it's important to talk about current events of what have been going on here in Israel this last week. Um, as you know, um, obviously Israel was attacked by Hamas, a surprise attack, and people have asked how in the world could this happen? Last Saturday, when it happened, I talked to Ron, and he said there's, you know, somebody's going to have to answer because there's just no way that we couldn't know this, that, that this was going on. And uh, throughout the week, you know, he said this is going to be over quickly, which I still think is probably likely on one hand. And on the other hand, I think this is going to drag out for a long, long time. The hand that's going to be quickly is this. Israel is going to strike, and they are going to strike hard and fast. We, uh, as you know, we're going to go to Israel in November. I had talked to the uh, tour company. They said that they were going to cancel, and I said, that's fine, we'll cancel. The next morning, I'm getting a text from Ron saying, don't cancel. Um, it's, this is going to be quick. I just simply let the tour company know what Ron had shared with me. They are also in connection with other higher-up people in the military, and they call back and said, you're right, we're not going to cancel quite yet. Um, that, then we hear that they bombed Lebanon in the northern border. Gaza is down in the south. Then they went and they were concerned that Hezbollah, which is in the north, was going to come down and attack and so Israel is literally surrounded by enemies. Now, when I talk about enemies, I am not talking about people who just don't like you and, you know, they'll, you know, key your car. I'm talking about people whose very doctrine and whose very depth of their soul wants to absolutely destroy and kill you because... That is part of their religion and what their religion teaches. Islam teaches that the last Jew must be wiped off of the face of the earth before their Mahdi or their Messiah, their 12th Imam, and different names basically, can come. And so they have a hatred for the Jew that I can't even describe to you because I don't think I have that kind of hatred for even Hamas. And I'm thankful that I don't. The, the evil and the wickedness, the absolute really demon-possessed or demonic aspect of this, I cannot put into words. But that's what this is. 
And what you need to understand is that Hamas has chosen to make, well, I should say the people of Gaza have chosen to make Hamas their leader in their government. And so this isn't just like, hey, you've got to sign up and be in the gang to be Hamas. The Gaza Strip is inhabited with people who have chosen to hate Israel, to despise them. This is why when after Hamas attacked, they came in and even the children and the women are celebrating based on what was going on. Things that were, as I said, I'm not even going to speak about. It was so evil and just uh, torturous. So Israel goes in, they bomb Gaza right and left. I get this message which basically tells me they're going in. Not just to the south, but now Hezbollah, which is also an enemy that is just as evil from the northern border, they were concerned that they were going to also attack. And sure enough, there were things coming in. So they bombed Lebanon. Then they've got on the east, you've got Syria, Iran further off, Jordan, all of these as well, Damascus. And so they end up and they're, they're bombing Syria. So basically Israel is trying to secure all their borders because they know none of the borders are safe because all of the borders are being attacked by the same philosophy. Many of Hamas um, had ISIS flags. ISIS is the same thing, but just from Egypt. Same hatred, same evil and really the same uh, united force that's going after Israel here. There's a lot of evidence supporting that uh, Russia and Iran are behind this attack. They certainly are supporting that attack. It seems that much of the money that our current uh, administration sent over in August was used to buy much of the military equipment and so on that was used to make this strike as well. Yeah, and stuff that was left over that we left there. Bottom line, though, is that this coordinated attack from Gaza is not something that just this little Hamas group put together. It is much bigger, much more coordinated, much more sophisticated, much higher uh, um, uh, equipment used. And so uh, you've probably seen pictures of Gaza, I mean, it is, it, portions of it are absolutely destroyed. Now, one of the things, they took many different hostages. One of the differences between any of those borders is this. They take the hostages and they will put them with them and in these populated areas, hospitals, where children are, whatever, to try and protect themselves. They hide behind the children and women and hospitals and all of that. Compared to what Israel does, is they drop in leaflets and they say, we're leaving you one road open, get out of town because we're going to bomb you. And they give them an opportunity to leave. Hamas, of course, tells them don't leave, blocks the, the, the open road for the, any that do want to leave because they need to hide behind them. And that's just a little bit of a difference between the philosophies of Israel versus the enemy. Now, I 
knew right away then that, you know, they, in Ron's mind, I believe they are thinking, this is going to be over quickly because we are hot, we are angry, and we are not going to tolerate anything. In the past, everything that's happened, yeah, go ahead. Does everybody know who Ron is? I'm sorry. No, so thank you. Ron is basically our guide. He is an F-15 pilot for the Israeli army. He was retired here just a few years ago and was called back up to duty and is now flying the F-15s right now for the Israeli army. So um, bottom line is, um, there's a couple of chairs here if you guys want. So he, uh, they're thinking they're gonna just, you know, bomb quickly, secure in the past, what ended up happening is you'd always have um, United Nations come in and say, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, this is too mean, this is too cruel. And so this is probably one of the first times that, uh, for sure in my life, that I have seen the support from other countries of Israel attacking because Gaza's attack was so heinous. And so that was unique, and I think they're taking advantage of that strike when we can. Where do these Palestinians come from? And this is an important part of understanding the land of Israel, is that when Israel, oh, whatever years it was, like in the 48 and whatnot, before they came, uh, ultimately the same thing happened in a sense. And then in 1973, there was a Yom Kippur War, so this was on the 50th anniversary of that. But when they became a state shortly after, all the enemies were saying, no, there's no way we're going to allow this to happen. And so they were going to come in and destroy Israel. Well, what are today the Palestinians came in and they said, we're going to wipe these guys out. We're going to live in their homes. We're going to take their land and live in it. And so they all came in thinking this was going to be a slaughter of Israel. Yeah, yeah. They're Arabs. So they thought this was going to be a slaughter. We're going to live in their homes. Well, turned out not to be the way. Israel, God protected them. God protected Israel. Israel pushed back. Well, all these people who had come in weren't allowed to go back. Their own people wouldn't take them back. And so these people became, you know, homeless. They still hated Israel. They hated the Jew but they couldn't go back home. And so they became refugees, in essence. Now, in the Yom Kippur War, we see that Israel actually had taken the Temple Mount back. Now, the Temple Mount is where the Islamic you know, mosque, basically, is there. And you know, it's a gold dome in, in Jerusalem. Well, yeah. I, I'll put this up here for now. I'll, I'll be coming back to it. But bottom line is, so here's Gaza. Yeah, about 25 miles, I think, from Jerusalem. We've got four. Or, oh, long. Yes, probably close to about the same from Jerusalem. Um, it's 14 miles from here to there. So probably pretty close to that also from Jerusalem. One of the, you know, the bottom, about 25 miles long, as you're saying there. I, didn't, I couldn't remember how long. But it's not very big. 
So this is Gaza, and this is basically who had attacked Israel. So Israel has now gone and attacked Gaza, they've attacked Syria, and they've attacked Lebanon up top. Okay. Well, these Palestinians had no place to go. So they're stuck. Yeah. No, it's not like they're homeless. And that's kind of where, that's where this is headed is, since they had no place to be, what they did is they made areas that they could live. But because, hey, these, these are enemies. These are people who want to kill you in your sleep and then, you know, torture you when you awake. I cannot imagine us doing that, saying, all right, we'll let you live in our backyard. But rather than they had no place to go, there was pressure internationally for them to make room for these Palestinians. And so that's where we have some things in the West Bank, in Gaza. These are areas that are designated for the Palestinians to be able to live. So you can go there today and you can see a Palestinian village versus an Israeli village just by the roofs and the color and just their culture is different. Honestly, you can even tell by their homes. And I don't mean this to be rude or mean or anything, but any Arab place, when you go to Israel and you cross the Israeli border, it's just toast. You've got, in Israel, green, fruitful, and then you cross the border, it's a wasteland. You can even go look on a Google map, you can see almost the borders of Israel, just from the green versus the brown. Culturally, the, the Arabs don't take care of things. It's, it's a dump. You can go to many of the, like Jericho and whatnot, and it's a dump compared to other places. Those of you who have gone before, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like when you're walking on the wall, and you could literally see the difference between an Israeli versus the Palestine in their backyards. Even. Yeah, in the old city of Jerusalem, you can walk along the wall, and that's divided into quarters, and one of them is a, a Palestinian Muslim quarter, and you, can, you know when you are crossing into it. It is just a stark contrast. And so what we have are two different people living together. This is why we call, you know, they want for a two-state thing to, to be there, that they want them both. Well, you know, Trump made um, Jerusalem the embassy, basically, the center for Israel. They did not want that because if you go to any, even in the old city of Jerusalem, anywhere in any of these Palestinian quarters or, or homes or villages, get a map. You will not find Israel on it called Palestine. The whole thing is called Palestine. Israel is not even recognized by the Palestinians. So you will not find it on a map in any of those, even in the old city, if you look at a map in the Muslim quarters. So, um, this is the way it's been. Israel is in control. They give visas, like 150,000 or something like that. I don't remember the exact number visas for them to come into you know, the, their areas for work and whatnot. They allow them to live, they do things, but all that has gone on over the years is you've got these bombings. So many times people are afraid to go to Israel. Why? Well, because of you know, these little bombings here, there, and whatnot, because of the riots that can go on. Uh, it's just a people who don't get along. Now, 
with that said, there is, it, it's easy to say, okay, yeah, bad Palestinians, good Jews. But you have to realize that there are also Christian Palestinians that live over here. Palestinians who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who do not hate the Jew and want to kill the Jew like that. Okay, I think initially, the ones that moved in, I would say, yeah, they were probably all evil. But it's not like that anymore. I would say most of them still have that evil heart, but there are Palestinian Christian people there. And that makes it very difficult for them because now they're kind of in a rock and a hard place because they don't know, you know, people looking in don't know if you can trust them or not. And it, it would be a very difficult existence. And so I don't want everybody just saying, hey, we've got to, you know, pray for Israel and forget the Palestinians. Because we need to remember that many of them are, there, there are believers that are there. And this isn't Palestinian versus Israel. I know that in a worldly sense it is. But this is God's people versus not God's people. And we need to remember that you and I are God's people that have been grafted in, just like those Palestinians who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. And it's easy with what we hear, in the, and I would say yes, if you're hearing these Palestinian supporting marches and stuff, most of them, they don't have a clue. Okay? They're idiots. Especially the ones that, the homosexuals, you know, the, the, the gay people, uh, you know, gay people because for Muslim Palestinians. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I dare you guys to go over and support Palestine in Palestine. You go right on ahead, they'll throw you off the roof. Okay? It makes no sense. But anyway, with that understanding, I just want you to, to be careful not to just jump on one side and say, hey, I'm supporting Israel. I do support Israel, but don't forget that we're supporting God's people. And it's broader than Israel. So, in these wars, when they had the, the Temple Mount, that's a huge deal for end times. I'm going to share a story from a previous trip to Israel that I just warms my heart. Um, so, I took a group to, onto a military base in Israel. And we got to visit with one of the heads top people there and they sat us down and they started talking and they they're very proud of their army and that's even to this day very proud as a matter of fact you can buy t-shirts that will say don't worry America we've got your back okay they are very proud of their military now from a worldly perspective they have every right to be it's incredible what they've done I don't know if you've seen the Iron Dome and I mean any other nation would be wiped off of the face of the earth by now. You can read some books about Jerusalem. There is not a city in the world that has had the turmoil and the attacks that this city has had throughout all of history. It is absolutely incredible. No reason this little tiny spot should still be here. And it is. They attribute that primarily to their prowess and, and, and might. I know that's not why. I know it's because of God's faithfulness. 
as an example of this, he was talking about this 1973 war, and there's a book by Dave Hunt called Judgment Day, and it goes through uh, just miracle after miracle that's going on in this. But one of them was Israel had eight tanks. Syria was coming in with 300 tanks, plus who knows how many uh, bombing airplanes and uh, people marching. I mean, it was just outnumbered in biblical proportions. Literally, all Israel had was eight tanks against, like the sand of the sea. And they're coming up against them. So, this guy you know, on the military base is telling us how this one guy in this one tank kept rolling over here and on the radio would say, you know, tank 8 or something, and he'd roll over here and say, this tank 24, and, and you know, roll over, and he, he made it sound like he'd be talking in different voices, like there were so many of them. And the army is coming up against these eight tanks. They can't see them. They're over this hill, but they're moving forward. And he said, all of a sudden, the, the army stopped. They just stopped. And he said, to this day, we do not know why. We don't know if it was because, you know, this guy running around, you know, saying there's so many of us or what. But he said, we do not know why they stopped to this day. But had they not stopped, he said, we wouldn't be here today. So, fast forward a month or two. We get home. One of the people who had gone on our trip had, you were on that trip, weren't you? One of those people on that trip was in Council Bluffs area, went to a Bible study. He was sharing this story, and there just happened to be a Syrian that was now a Christian, who was not a Christian back then, who was fighting in that war, who was in one of those tanks that was marching up against Israel. And he said, I can tell you why we stopped. He said, we heard a roar of a lion. And he said, it was loud. He said, nobody knew where it was coming from, but this roar. And he said, we were petrified. Everybody was so scared, they didn't know what to do. Many of them were running out of the backs of their tanks and just running away, running back. And that's why. That is a miracle of biblical proportions. You, you recall story after story I could give you in the Old Testament where armies are coming up against Israel and what happens? They fight among themselves or there's a sound in the, in the trees and, you know, or they see blood or what they think is blood and all of these different things that go on. Well, I believe that's God fighting for Israel and I believe that that's going to be what's going to happen this time too. Now, with that said, there's a little caveat that I'm going to come back to, but I do believe Israel is going to be able to secure their borders. But I also believe that there is a high probability that this is just the beginning of much more outside of Israel that it will even affect us here in the United States. There have been Biden's given a border advice. Yeah, I'm sure that yeah, it would be wise to take that. I've had a feeling for some time and always do, and my wife makes fun of me for that because she says I always say that. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus. I'm going to back up. I'm going to do again. 
He says, you've been saying this for years and years. Yes, I have. I have been very serious that I think that our country is in trouble. And I'm going to continue to say that because I know we are. And I know that because we have not repented. We have not repented as a country. And God has promises in his word that if we do not repent, he is going to bring destruction. All of history supports that. You go back, every country that has rejected him and every country who has rejected the Jew as well eventually gets wiped out. Psalm 83, uh, Jamie Walden was kind of mentioning that in one of his messages this week, kind of as a prophetic thing. And he thinks that maybe this is the Psalm 83 war happening. Don't know, but it could be. It says here, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. He will not be. For behold, your enemies make a tumult and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. As I'm telling you, not only the nations around them, but the UN has formed a confederacy against Israel. Frankly, I'm a little surprised that the United States has given the support so far that they have to Israel. I suspect that support is going to come to an end as they continue bombing. It's like, what does Lebanon have to do with it? What does Syria have to do with it? I understand Gaza, these terrorists that went in, but leave these other guys alone. And pretty soon, they're going to lose that support, is my prediction. But at this point, because so many have died, more than in the 1973 Yom Kippur, I mean, this is one of the worst of their history. They're angry. They're not going to stop. Since the Holocaust, it is. It's incredible. It will not surprise me. I'm not necessarily making a prediction. I'm just looking at scenarios. It would not surprise me if they secure their borders quite well. So much so that we've already got people in Galilee, in the northern areas of Israel, saying, if you don't like, take care of this, wipe them out, put an end to it, we're not going to live here. You need to secure the borders or we're not going to be here. That they're going to secure the borders and even beyond and take back the Gaza Strip, take back the West Bank, take back the Temple Mount. Because we're tired of this. No more of this two-state talk. You take back the Temple Mount, you will have, in just a matter of weeks, the Dome of the Rock gone and the third temple built back up because the Temple Institute already has it built. They have every piece. They have the blocks numbered. They have all the artifacts for the temple and they will restore their worship in an inappropriate way in a third temple of Israel in Jerusalem. If that happens, there will be World War III because I'm telling you every Islamic country in the world is going to come up against them. 
the possibility of setting us up for what scriptures have talked very clearly about for centuries. And now we could be peeking in the window of that. In other news, I saw a headline last night that said the Vatican has offered to uh, negotiate the peace. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and yeah, exactly. A woman rides a beast. There's there's connections there as well. There's there's all kinds of things that just my sniffer is saying this isn't just about Israel going in and we're gonna kick butt on the borders. This is gonna affect much more. There's people asking about the Ezekiel award. I was thinking you told me that that's not a separate thing, but there's people talking like it is. Well, I think it is a separate thing. I don't know. Uh, 30, Ezekiel 37, 38, the Gog and Magog. I think this is setting it up for that. People say this is different than the 37, 38. But I think there's similarities. I think they're connected, ultimately. One will lead to the other. And then that's different than Armageddon. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it could be the same. I, it could lead up to that, too. I don't know. But... <laughs> Armageddon is going to be a much bigger deal than what we're right now seeing, I think. But I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. I think right now, rather than being too specific in our prophetic things, we just have to say, guys, we need to wake up. It's time to repent. I don't know what it's going to take for us to, to stop living for this world, to stop you know, just doing nothing but watching TV, to, to, to get into our prayer time. And I don't mean this as a rebuke. I know there are some good excuses and whatnot. But we had three people praying tonight. You know, out of how many people that are here? I realize that sometimes you're not going to be able to do that. But guys, we need to take this seriously. Are we going to get together? Are we going to start praying? Are we going to get down on our knees? And I realize you can be praying without coming to this group to do so. But are you doing it at home? Are you getting down on your knees and praying and saying, hey, I'm going to take the next half hour and I'm going to cry out to God and pray out loud. Because the time is here to get serious. He says the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, have joined with them. In other words, all the nations are gathering against Israel. They have helped the children of Lot. Uh, that would be like the Edomites, Jordanians, all of that today. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, and others here. Um, it goes on and it talks about this. I'm not going to read all of that for the sake of time, but it's basically saying, God, fight for them. Deal with these people who are marching against us, who have gathered together against us. Whether or not we're seeing Psalm 83 being fulfilled and what's going on now or not, I can't say for sure, but I'll tell you what, it's sure a foreshadowing. It's sure a type of it. And that's what's happening. And I know God is going to fight. Isaiah 24 is another one that um, you might want to look at. Um, actually just talked with Jake about that tonight. Um, I'm not going to go through all of this, but maybe go read Isaiah 24. 
Zechariah 12.3, On that day I'll make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. All who try to move it will only injure themselves. God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem an immovable rock. And I'm telling you, every nation that goes against Jerusalem since Babylon fails. It was prophesied. God said, listen, you guys have rejected my law. I'm bringing the Babylonians. Repent. No. Repent, or I'm bringing the Babylonians. No. Repent, or I'm bringing the Babylonians. No. So they come. But you know, now, the promises that we see is God says, there's going to be nations that are going to come against you. But my answer is no. So, this is going to be interesting. Isaiah 62, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give Him no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. We are commanded in Psalm 122, 126 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How many of us are doing that? Now, one of the things I want you to understand, good, glad you are. One of the things I want you to understand is when we pray the, for the peace of Jerusalem, it's not that they can secure their borders. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, there will be no peace until they know their Lord Jesus as Messiah. I've said this before, but there's all these groups, these Zionists, that are all about getting Israel back to their land and giving money. The Temple Institute is primarily funded by Christians. Again, the Temple Institute is the one who has built all of the pieces for the third temple. Why would you want them to build this third temple? So that they can institute sacrifices. No, God had that destroyed and said, I'm not going to... For a reason, he allowed the Romans to come in and take that. Because he said, I'm your sacrifice. And these people, Christians, keep doing it. And, and the Zionists, so many of them, they give money to get Jews back to Israel. But you know, they even have a policy that they don't share the gospel with them. What? There will never be peace unless you share the gospel with them. That's what brings peace to Jerusalem. And that's why I'm also concerned for Israel today because I was talking with Ron. Again, he has, he asked for prayers for his nephew, Or. Or in, in Hebrew is light. That's his name, Or. And I said, is he a believer? He said, no. He's the only one in his family. They all think I'm crazy. But he said, Or is a good, a good man. He said, he said, if God can get a hold of him, he said, he'll be a pastor. He's just such a good kid. He said, so pray for Or. Another man I know up there, Dove. Dove has a, a kid, um, uh, two boys, actually. One on the border of Lebanon fighting right now. One in Gaza fighting right now. They are believers. And so... 
this is just so much more, it's so much deeper than, hey, Israel, Palestine. We need to be praying for peace and protection, especially for these believers. But God wants the Jew to understand him. And I hope and pray that God's going to use this to bring many of these non-Christian Jews, non-Messianics, to know him. Because there are prophecies that we cannot forget about too. The Bible does say, well, God's saying no. Nations are going to come up against you. God's saying there's going to be very, a lot of trials and tribulations. So when you see Jerusalem surrounded, let the reader understand. Don't go back to your house. Let those who flee, you know, flee to the mountains. What's that all about? This is New Testament. That wasn't Babylon. That's talking about future. That Israel is going to be attacked and they are going to lose a lot of people. It isn't going to be easy. Zechariah 14, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. Huh. The houses rifled, the women ravished. That's exactly what we were seeing this week, by the way. Half of the city shall go into captivity. Hostages. But the remnant of the people, the remnant of the people. Do you know when the Bible talks about the remnant in the Old Testament all the time, you know who those were? The ones that were faithful to God. I might even say the Messianics in this verse, if I might paraphrase possibly. It goes on, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. You can go read more of that in Zechariah 14. But my point is this, guys. Israel is boastful because of their own strength. And God is going to show them it's not your strength. And He's going to allow tragedy to come upon these people. And we need to be praying for Him because of that. We often hear this, oh, God's going to fight for Israel. And, and we think that there will be no trouble for Israel because of that, because God fights for them. But don't forget Zechariah 14. God has to remove the dross from Israel. We've talked about it before. Those of you who have gone to Israel with me, when you go to Jerusalem, there's something about Israel that's like, wow, this is, there, there's a holiness, there's something weird. But then there's also an ungodliness that's there. It's weird. The spiritual dichotomy that's there is just so strange. God has to remove that. The dross has to be taken away. I want you to understand it's not much different in our lives either. I firmly believe that God is going to have to do something to allow the dross to be removed in our lives here in America as well. And I'm not going to get into all the details and speculations and, and maybe even informed speculations of what's going on in America outside of I'll say this, it wouldn't surprise me one bit 
if in the next year, months, or two, we don't see something similar happening in America. Because I would wager, I think this group, many of you are probably aware, but many of you probably don't even realize we've got military, like Chinese military gathering in Texas right now. We've got all kinds of things going on. We are not safe. And I think we have the same attitude that Israel has. We're America. I'd like to see him come and take my guns. No, your strength will not be your own. It's only going to be God's. The remnant. And we need to be praying. And I skipped, I'm going to go back to this Psalms. Or Zachary, actually the Isaiah 24 one. I want you to see this actually. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it a waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. Why? Because they have transgressed the laws changed the ordinances. And I, I should have checked in the Hebrew. Usually that word ordinance is often associated to God's festivals and things like that. Broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Guys, this is future and he's saying he's going to destroy this because we haven't repented. Repent! No. Repent! Okay. I know Daniel Joseph's message today. He described this idea of pride or, or trying to remember it. And some of you might be able to help me. But this idea that repentance, Christians don't feel like we really need to repent. We feel like, well, I'm a Christian. Therefore, it's okay if I do this little thing because I'm still okay because I'm a Christian. And it's very easy for us to justify not repenting because I'm a Christian. Oh, maybe the big things. But all these things that we have allowed to creep into our life it's been like, eh, eh, we're Christians. It's okay. God's going to overlook that. I'm a Christian. I'm on his side. We need to be careful. So, just keep that in mind. Well, I'm going to show you... I'm not going to get very far tonight on laying a foundation... But God's eyes are always upon Jerusalem, always upon Israel. You can go look, just Google, you know, verses, promises to Israel, whatever. You'll see all these promises. God says, my eyes will always be set upon you. There's something special about that land. And because of that, I want to take, and for the next few weeks, and I'll see where it goes. I want to show you the land of Israel. 
And I want to show you some of the places that these battles have taken place where Goliath was slain and be able to show you a picture and say it was in this field somewhere right here. Had to be. And show you God's faithfulness to his promises and try and take you there in person to see it. So that when you read your Bible and you're reading that the Philistine army is coming up this path that you don't just like read that and then check out for the next 30 seconds until you get back to something you can understand. But that you can at least, in some ways, maybe even picture it on a map and go, okay, I see at least where, you know, where this is taking place. Israel is a very unique land in a unique place as well. It's about the size of this here in the state of California, you could basically say about the size of New Jersey. That's the, the whole land of Israel. Not very big. But what's interesting about its location is this is a desert. Nobody crosses this. You got to see over here the Mediterranean. So if you were in Egypt and trying to get to Mesopotamia, where are you going to go? Through Israel. You've got to go through Israel. We have as well that um, the, the Fertile Crescent is over here, basically what's called that. Um, really, in ancient times, anybody going anywhere was going to have to go through Israel to get there. I heard a guy talking once years ago, why didn't, I mean, if you go to Israel, you look at it, it's not Iowa. Now, sorry, Noah, but Iowa you look at that dirt. I mean, wow. It's black. It is fertile. It's amazing dirt. You go to Israel and you pick up dirt. How does anything grow here? Why did God choose Israel? Why there? And I think the answer is because of its location. He chose to put them there because anybody was going to have to go and go through them and learn of the God of creation, the God of Israel. They were not going to be able to cross without hearing or knowing about the God of Israel. He put them there to be a light. It's interesting that way back in Abraham's day, God says, I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. You can go throughout all of history God has been faithful to that promise. Every nation who has gone up against Israel and cursed them loses. Every one. They might think they have the upper hand for a little while, but they lose. And when they bless Israel, they are blessed. It's no different for you guys. Why did God choose you? Because you deserved it? <laughs> no. No, I know most of you. You didn't deserve it. <laughs> Nor did I. I feel really judged right now. Yeah, good. Good. I'm glad you feel that coming across. Okay. <laughs> God chose us so that you would be a light. I don't think it is any different for us today. I could make that a whole message in itself, but I'll let you simmer on that one. 
So Israel in itself here, here's the Fertile Crescent that you can see. Um, there's Babylon, Baghdad, you know, to kind of put that in perspective here for you today as well. The Euphrates River, which is talked about a lot in Scripture and so on. The land of Israel, you know, Abraham was called out of Ur over here. He then goes down and eventually gets down to Beersheba. But from Dan to Beersheba is basically oftentimes in Scripture used as the length of Israel. And so you'll see that phrase used, from Dan to Beersheba. When you hear that in Scripture, when you read that in Scripture, he's saying the length of Israel, 150 miles. It's 45 miles from the Jordan River across there. Here we, we have Jordan, okay, uh, Petra and whatnot is over in here somewhere, probably there. Uh, there's the Sea of Galilee. It's only 45 miles across. So, I mean, there is not much here. This is pretty small. In the time of Joshua, the yellow areas, um, basically they conquered, and the darker ones they did not. By yellow, I mean these here. So this area here in the time of Joshua, they did not conquer. Who lived there? Well, we had the Philistines. You might recognize some towns up here. Uh, I, I'm going to point out a couple of things. Right here, it, you're going to see somewhat different shapes, but it kind of can sometimes look like an arrow. This is an important part here, this is the Jezreel Valley. This is where the Armageddon battle is supposed to take place, somewhere in here, and then down in this rift valley here. Um, Jerusalem, I'm always going to point out Jerusalem so that you kind of have a focal point of where you're at. Um, but here you have the Amorites, here you have the Canaanites, okay? Uh, even up here, the Canaanites, all along here, and the Philistines would also live up in this area as well later. Um, I'll show you some names later, but here's Timna. Remember uh, Ekron, Gath. There's where Goliath grew up. So not far from Jerusalem. And I think I've told you before, we have found the, the tell of Gath. I might show it to you later. And we have found a clay figurine with six fingers and six toes and a piece of pottery with Goliath's name on it. So uh, history says, yeah, Goliath lived there. So does his six-fingered brother the Bible talks about. So uh, there's all kinds of evidence. But here, Philistines primarily in there, the, the five city, or Ashdod, Ashkelon. Uh, Ashkelon is in the news a lot now because, again, they're firing from the Gaza Strip. They're firing uh, rockets into Ashkelon and so on right now. Um, I'm going to show you maybe here Curious Jerem. Right here, I've got it circled from Jerusalem. Uh, here is a picture of that. Here is Kiriath Jerem. Here is the highway that today still takes you to Jerusalem. There. And it is the main path that they would walk is where the highway is to this day. Now how do we know that? Well, because it's the only way. This land is so awful to get around. You're going to see this as we go through this a little bit more. The diversity, not only ethnically, but geographically, is amazing in this. You can kind of see a few different areas. You've got the hill country here. You've got the Judean wilderness. 
as I said, I'm going to show you later, but from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, or really the Dead Sea, is only 14 miles. And it is like an absolute different world. Different climate. I mean, you can almost guarantee it's going to be 10, 15 degrees warmer here than it is 14 miles away. We'll talk about that more later. Um, but there are seven distinct areas. The foothills, the hill country, the Dead Sea, the Negev. Uh, Ron's favorite. He loves to camp out in the Negev. The dry basin, the highlands, and the wilderness. And so this is just a satellite photo. When you look at this, it doesn't really give you the perspective of things. It doesn't tell you what it's like. Um, I was thinking it seems like a lot longer than 14 miles than we are driving. I know, it does seem like a lot longer than 14 miles across. But most of the time we were going north to, you know. We were going like usually, most of what we did was within a 30 mile radius probably. That was it. So, um, so just again, the area on the map compared to this, the Transjordan Plateau, again, the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River connects the two. This is where you know Petra and Jordan is all at here. The Rift Valley is flat. It's obviously a valley. There was a lot of towns that would be along there. Then you've got Jerusalem. There was only a couple of ways to get to Jerusalem from here to there that were short. Because everything else, we're talking mountains that you need like ropes to climb. There's some scripture that talks about the Traveler's Valley. Is that the same as that Rift Valley possibly? Traveler's Valley, maybe. There's something called the King's Highway that you'll hear a lot too. And that is actually up here, on the, up above these hills. Um, as a matter of fact, if we would have gone, when we go from Petra to Amman, the highway is still the King's Highway to this day. And so uh, you can kind of see so where that's this at. Trend, this is where they would have been wandering around in the desert before they crossed over the Jordan? Yeah, they, they were they kind of wandering started. around down in here in Egypt, and they came back up and over and then across. And that's where they've got some of the tribes that before they crossed over that would have landed? Yeah, yep. And remember, the Edomites wouldn't let them cross. The Edomites lived over here. And they wouldn't let them go through their land at first and so on. Um, Abraham spent most of his time here in the hill country. From Beersheba up to Jerusalem, uh, up in this area. This is pretty much where he stayed most of the time. Then he would go down into Egypt. But this is where Abraham primarily was. And then again, much of the time, we have Canaanites and Philistines that were in the coastal plains. Yeah. Where did, Jamie just asked, where did Lot go? So Abraham took the hill country. Yeah, Lot chose this area here. Abraham was here, Lot there. So um, the coastal plain that I show you here was hardly ever controlled by Israel. Most of the time it was the enemies that lived there. So in some ways, it's kind of similar to what they had today. The Philistines, they were supposed to take the land, but they didn't. And when they didn't take the land, what happened? Caused problems. I really believe that it would have been good had they kept the land and not ever divided it up. I skipped the verses that talk about those that divide the land of Israel and how they're going to bring a curse upon themselves too. But that's a pro prophecy that when you divide the land of Israel, 
which is what we have with a two-state nation today, that uh, that's fulfilling prophecy. Jerusalem, uh, right here. You can always find Jerusalem, find the Dead Sea, go across. It's about 2,800 feet, 24 to 2,800 feet in elevation. Um, the Dead Sea, negative 1,350 feet. So that is a huge drop in 14 miles. So you can see why a different. Imagine Hastings being, what is that, 7,000 feet? What is it? Uh, do the math. I'm terrible. Not, not that much. Um, 28, 38, almost 4,000 feet. Yeah. From here to Denver, 4,000 feet just to Hastings. Imagine Hastings always having, you know, a 15 degree different temperature. Like a completely different climate year round. And that's what it's like there. Drive to Hastings, you're in the, you know, the valley, the Rift Valley and whatnot. So that is why, water-wise even, it's interesting, Deuteronomy 11.1 1 says this, The land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven. It's a land of milk and honey and all of this. And I'm like, man, really? Well, two things. We have to realize that when Abraham saw it, it looked like the garden of God. And then Lot went to that. Abraham went to the hill country. But let me tell you, that does not look like the garden of God anymore. Because when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it made it a wasteland. And that's what it is today. Jeremiah 5.24, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season. Jerusalem gets about 24 inches of rain a year. Jericho, four. So... 24 inches here, Hastings gets 4 inches. Okay, Notice that I put us as the good spot. Okay. Um, most of the rain in Jerusalem they get in 3 months time period as well. Basically, most of that even in January and February is their real rainy season. But um, these different, different uh, elevations cause just absolute different climates as well. And I can't help but say that God promises those who, you know, uh, follow me, He's going to bring rain in their seasons. And even today, I would love to just take a, a map, and there's no way for me to really do this, but I would, I always pray for like the, you Christian farmers. God can bring rain on one field and not the other. Okay, and I'm not saying just because you go through a drought that you know you are you've done something wrong or whatever. But I was amazed. Was it last year, the year before the hail? Remember this this field was just destroyed, and I thought, how? We didn't get anything. And I can go out and I walk like five feet into the field, and there's a line of hail. And it's like, thank you, Lord. Okay, I know I didn't do anything to deserve that, but thank you. That's, I think, ultimately why we see what we see in Israel as well, because it's the blessing of God. I'm telling you, God promises that for your life too. Now, I am not naming it, claiming it, 
you know, hey, you're a Christian, everything's going to be good. That's not what this means. But God does say that when we follow Him and we walk in His Word and in His ways, He does watch out for you. He does protect you. You can count on it. He doesn't promise that there won't be trials and tribulations and problems, but He does promise I'm going to be with you. That's why we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they come to know the Messiah. I love One for Israel, that podcast, because if you go and listen to One for Israel, you can go on YouTube and see testimony after testimony of Jews coming to know Yeshua as their Messiah. And by the way, almost all of them will talk about all they knew of Jesus is the Christian Jesus. No wonder they didn't believe in Him. Okay? All they knew of Christianity is that they hate the Jews, they killed the Jews, the Holocaust, this kind of thing, this Jesus. They didn't know the Jesus of the Bible. And so that's the other th reason why I think this stuff is so important for me is because we need to be teaching the Jesus of the Bible so that the Jews can also understand He's their Messiah. Not the Jesus that we've made Him out to be. A Jesus that breaks the commandments of God. A Jesus that would never fit the Messiah of a Jew. They hear you talk about you know, who Jesus is in the modern day Christianity. They run because Jesus wouldn't do that. The Messiah wouldn't do that. But go listen to One for Israel and listen to some of those podcasts and see what difference it makes when they find Jesus is their Messiah and how they realize, just, I mean, just how it breaks them to realize that and how it hurts you know, their, their families. So anyway, um, tonight that's all I'm going to do. Um, just giving you a taste of the land. We will look at this, some of the routes that you could get around Israel and how they traveled them next week. Like I said, this isn't my favorite to do, but I'm going to need to take another week or two to give you a foundation before we can highlight maybe certain areas of it. But I'm going to give you an overall view of Israel first. So in the meantime, pray for Israel. Yeah. Absolutely. When God says, I'm taking you into this land, destroy, get rid of all the evil, or else it's going to fester. That's what God does with us. You become a Christian. Get rid of all the evil, because it's going to fester. If you keep these you know, pagan pictures, and you keep these pagan movies, or ungodly movies in your home, you're not chasing out the enemy. You're still allowing them to live in your land, in your home, and they will influence you it's what's going to happen so yeah very good all right let's pray heavenly father we just thank you again for your faithfulness even when we are unfaithful you have been so faithful god let us be faithful just work in our hearts and our minds and our spirits to to be able to have a desire to obey you to follow you that we might be a true light lord i thank you that you have saved me regardless of you know my actions. I know that I could never be good enough, but because you have saved me, Lord, let me be good enough. Let me be worthy of the calling that you have called me to, that we would be a light and that we would not stand for ungodliness, that we would fight against it, that we would stand for truth, that we would stand for the gospel, that we would let the world know that there was a great cost to that gospel. 
And that cost is seen on, on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes. And may you just continue to open them further and let us, as I said, be a light to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.